that basically, like you say, builds a nest egg and personally, I believe gives better returns. The problem is as soon as I start talking about that to freelancers and consultants, they go, oh, it's very risky, very risky, yeah. very scary, very complicated. You know, there's like the well, leasons of the world who have, who have absolutely put this uh, forward. But, but, but underperforming is also risky. Hi, and welcome to the WP Elevation podcast. I'm Mike Killen, a WP Elevation coach and WordPress marketing funnel specialist based in Devon in England. I'm very excited to announce that our feature guest is one of my favorite authors this week. It's Andrew Craig from Plain English Finance and the author of How to Own the World. In this episode, Andrew is going to walk us through the essential ingredients for taking control of our own finances and money while allowing us to save, invest and even build a pension as WordPress consultants. Stay with us. This is the WP Elevation Podcast, helping WordPress consultants elevate. Just before we get into this episode of the WP Elevation Podcast, we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, GoDaddy Pro, who help us make this all possible. But instead of just giving you a spiel about how great GoDaddy Pro is, we thought it would be more interesting to introduce you to a GoDaddy Pro customer, a WordPress consultant just like you, and see what kind of work they're doing with their clients and the impact they're having on their community. Cindy Schafstall of Spider Trainers has focused her business on promoting her local community. GoDaddy Pro Tools helps her achieve success by giving her the ability to gain access that she needs to make that happen. Uh, yes, I'm Cindy. I'm from a company called Spider Trainers, and our mission for the last two years has been to promote the area that I moved into. Um, it's a very small town in northeastern Arizona. We live in towering pines. It's absolutely lovely, but it's also very small and sort of, um, I don't want to say slow, but they're so maybe slow to catch up. So they're not, they haven't been introduced to new technology. So when I came up here, very few people even had websites. Um, and the town was one of the people that, or one of the organizations that didn't have a website. And I realized that as an entrepreneur, I could have a direct impact on the town's success in marketing themselves as a tourism uh, or as a tourist destination. So I um, won a contract to build a new website for the town. And once it got built, they couldn't get a hold of their domain name. So of course, we worked with GoDaddy for seven months trying to get control of a domain name that an old developer had. Um, all the while, this website was just waiting to launch. So once the town site was up and we started getting data about that, I started working with the Chambers of Commerce and their nonprofit organizations. We've gotten great data off the various websites and GoDaddy hosts everything. So my GoDaddy Pro account is really what gave us that success because we were struggling with you know, gaining rights to domain names and being able to bring all of these sites together. Where can people find you online to learn a little bit more about what you do in your business? We're at spidertrainers.com, um, but our business is really, we're this community. So it's pinetoplakeside.com and pinetoplakesidechamber.com and sholochamber.com. For more information about GoDaddy Pro, visit godaddy.com pro for tools to support your business. Okay, now let's get back to the show and see if we can help you take your WordPress consulting business to the next level. Hey guys, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Mike, and today I am joined by Andrew Craig. Andrew, how are you doing? Good, thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Very kind of you. No, not at all. Thanks for coming on. So, uh, Andrew, you are the author of the book, How to Own the World. 
um, which is kind of, uh, is it thinking globally and investing wisely, I think is the little tagline. Something along those lines, yeah. Yeah, so for those who, who don't know who you are, could you give us a quick introduction as to how you kind of came about with the book and, and this kind of cool, that's plain, a, that's, plain English that's, finance? Tell me about yourself. That's always quite a difficult question, isn't it? So, <laughs> I mean, I'm one of those evil city bankers and I started work for Swiss Bank in the late 90s. Um, and after doing that for, I guess it must have been about 15 years, I became an increasingly angry young man. Um, <laughs> and basically, I just kept sort of going to dinner parties or, you know, whatever, in the pub, you speak to people. And, and, and it became really clear to me that financial literacy is just such a huge miss. It's mm -hmm. like a huge societal blind spot. I mean, and weirdly enough, um, even people who work in sort of pretty high paid central, you know, front office uh, jobs up in the city or in New York uh, or wherever else um, are surprisingly bad mm -hmm. actually at their own kind of financial affairs. And I've said it before, you know, I did a degree in economics and I came out of doing a degree, degree in economics at a half decent uni, knowing basically nothing about, you know, the nitty gritty of what's an ISO, what's a SIP, you know, yeah. really, I knew lots of theory about how if inflation affected interest rates and stuff, but not the nuts and bolts of some kind of in, putting a sensible strategy in place to, 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 to sort of win with investment. Mm -hmm. And so what I decided to do, um, basically, I, I set up a website in about 2011 and I found myself writing lots of content for the website. And I just wanted to put lots of free kind of stuff up on the website. And actually, it was my cousin who said to me one day, do you realize you've got nearly 100,000 words of content on here? Um, wouldn't, wouldn't that potentially be better as a book? <laughs> uh, you know, there was me naive, pretty new to the world of, of uh, websites and sure. you know, your, your, um, the, the people who watch this podcast will know a lot more about this than I did certainly. Yeah. And, and I just thought, well, that's obviously a, a no brainer. And hence the, the first edition was called own the world and mm -hmm. we got it live in, I think, uh, January of 2013. And then weirdly enough, lots of people bought it, <laughs> which was a surprise <laughs> to me more than anyone else. content, right? Yeah. Well, hopefully. And, and yeah. I think, yeah, I, I mean, it, that's sort of sort of perhaps like false modesty in that I do massively believe in the message that I that I set out in the book um, you know which is basically I, I, as I said earlier I think financial literacy truly is a silver bullet mm -hmm. and, it, and it is for the individual because if you sort your finances out um, which is far easier as I hope we'll come on to it's far easier than most people are led to believe in the yep. course of their kind of you know schooling or, or, or even university education if you can sort that out it means you're not going to be on the welfare rosters. It means you'll be able to look after you and yours. You know, it means, frankly, life gets a lot less stressful yeah. um, and a lot easier um, if you have, if you can sort of do some of these, put some of these basic building blocks in place and, and navigate kind of all the nonsense. You know, I mean, the, yeah. the, the book's really, the whole point of the book was to try and, you know, be an idiot's guide in some ways, but sort of a combination of an idiot's guide with a bit of a slightly more sophisticated overlay of, you know, the idea of owning the world, basically. Yeah, and this was basically a friend of mine, Steve. Hello, Steve, if you're watching. He turned me on to the book because when I started my agency uh, as a business, my big panic, and I know that this is a lot of problem with some of the other guys who are in this kind of space, was hmm. my pension's going to disappear or my 401k is just going to disappear. Yeah. All of this money, I'm like, what am I going to do? I didn't think, well, selling my business, I can't rely on that. So... That was how he turned me onto the book. He was like, oh, you should read this book called How to Own the World. And I was like, I don't know anything about money. I don't know anything yeah. about... My like, like most of the people who work in the city and in New York in financial services firms, by, right. by the way. And that was what I picked <laughs> up. I was like, yeah. oh, it's, it's not just me. It's actually the people who run some of these organizations yeah. so to say slightly disingenuous and slightly unfair because there are obviously lots of you know skillful professionals but um you know certainly for the lots of people who are graduate or even postgraduate level folk doing a, a whole you know working in a whole range of, of roles you'll say to them do you have a pension and quite often they'll they'll go uh, and they'll have to think about whether <laughs> they have a pension or not yeah. and then if you say 
what's in your pension? Mm. I, I, in 10 years of asking that question, only one person has ever actually been able to answer that question. You know, what, what's in it and what, how much are you paying the, the, the pension provider? So anyway, yeah, sorry, yeah. I interrupted you. No, 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 that's perfect. That kind of leads me on to this next bit. Like, so at the highest level, financial literacy, mm. a lot of us are freelancers and consultants and digital marketers and stuff. It's, it's something that we didn't think we'd ever get into. Yeah. Why is this important even as people who aren't employed as freelancers and, and, and you know, self-employed people or we run businesses? Yeah. Why is financial literacy so important? I think because ultimately it just makes life so much easier. And, yeah. you know, if you are a freelancer, um, you know, your, your income can be very lumpy. You can have a great quarter or a great year and then you can have a really lean dry patch when the economy goes off or your particular market goes off. And, you know, I always say that if you, if, if you learn about finance and you can make sort of sensible returns that are eminently achievable, it's mm. not long before you've built a really big nest egg and then the, the, that nest egg can then throw off returns itself. Yep. And so, you know, this obviously it would be naive to think that a 22 year old could, could just know a bit about finance and suddenly it's life changing, but, but grinding that out gradually. Um, and, and I was, I think sort of preempt maybe a question you're going to ask is sort of, if you're a freelancer, you know, how do you decide how much money you want to keep? for potential capex in your business and growing yeah. the business and everything else and there's a great book called um, the richest man in babylon i forget yeah. who it's by and uh, Clayson, george clarson or clayson or something, something like that yeah. and, and the one thing i took away from that it's quite an odd book to be honest but yeah. you know nothing ventured nothing gained but the one overriding thing i took away from that which and he's not the only person who said it but i think he's probably one of the first is always put 10 percent of everything you earn buy mm -hmm. into yep. investments and i think that applies you know I've, I've got my own business i've got playing this finance i've put a ton of my own money into that business of course um and i had a couple of years in that where i wasn't working at all and i was 100 percent focused on that where i didn't put 10% of my, I hadn't, didn't have any income, you know, I was investing yeah. it all yeah. in the business. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, no, no doubt lots of your listeners and people watching have been through that sort of process. But I think the simple rule is as soon as you have income mm -hmm. in whatever time period you want to call it, whether it's a weekly, monthly, quarterly, annually, preferably probably monthly is probably the easiest way of doing it. Yeah. Put 10% of whatever you have made that month, mm -hmm. whether it's in the business or, you know, what, we, we all like to have businesses so we can arrange our tax affairs and, you know, take things and sure. all that good stuff, which is very sensible. Obviously that's the subject of rich dad, poor dad, or yeah. one of the themes in that book, which is quite right. But you know, what, what net, 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 whether it's in an, in an investment account that you have with your business, which is one way to, Gets a little bit if the business is a bit bigger, but, it, but whatever you're netting as an individual, every single you know, let's say, call it a month just for the sake of simplicity, 10% needs to go into sensible investments. Yeah. And then, of course, the next question is, well, what should they be? <laughs> you know, but, but well, you no doubt had another question. So. No, 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 this is this is this is perfect because this is kind of leading me on to uh, it's interesting because when anyone who's from a more traditional background who would be employed and have a nine to five job and they yeah. say, like you know, you run your own business. The first thing they ask is, how do I pay the mortgage? Yeah. And I'm like, and how did you get a mortgage to start with? Well, oh, that yeah, was that before was... I started my business. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Was that before I started my yeah. business? Yeah. And I'm like, well, I, I pay the mortgage with, with money. Just yeah. like yeah. everybody else. Yeah. I don't really understand the difference. And the second thing is they go, do you have a pension? Yeah. My answer is no, because I know they're expecting me, oh, do you have a, a mutual life or a friend's life account? And I, I don't. But I am putting money away um, that basically, like you say, builds a nest egg. And personally, I believe gives better returns. The problem is as soon as I start talking about that to freelancers and consultants, they go, oh, it's very risky, very risky, yeah. very scary, very complicated. You know, there's like the well, Gleason's of the world who have, who've Absolutely. put this uh, forward. But, but, but underperforming is also risky. 
Yeah. And particularly on, so not doing this risks having quite an impoverished kind of retirement, right? And so if I can just, just a couple of things are quite powerfully illustrative. So firstly, what the results can be, right? And an example I quite often use when I'm at a speaking event is if great aunt Agatha put 5,000 pounds into a tax-free account, like an ISA, for mm. example, the day your kid is born, the day a child is born, no further investment whatsoever, just the five grand one-off thing. And you are able to achieve high single digits. We're going to say 10% just to keep the math easy, right? Yep. We can come on to how on earth do you make 10% consistently? Interest rates are, you know, nothing. And mm. we'll come on to that in a sec. But, but just, just to work with the example, how much money would that child have on their 55th birthday, the first day they can legally retire? Do you know the answer to that? So if that's it's 10% compound from five grand. Exactly. Over five, five years. Grand by 1,500 becoming so on and so forth. Of 55... 945,000 pounds, right? So, you know, okay, there are certain parameters we're talking about there, which, which people could sort of um, uh, ask questions about. So I've got my phone's going in the corner, apologies, I've just uh, got rid of it. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, so, so let's interrogate that. Fine, 55 years, you know, one of the biggest allies you have in investment is time, mm-hmm. which is why it's really important for people in their 20s, you know, if you get this sort in your 20s, it just pays enormous dividends later in your life. But how might you, you know, aspire to make 10% a year? Because that sounds ridiculous, right? Yeah. But, but, but that's, that's where the whole owning the world um, notion comes from, which is that, so the Rothschild family for 200 years have been able, owning the world just means if you can own all assets in all major geographical regions, which to all intents and purposes just means the States, Europe, and I include Britain and Europe for the time being, and, and, and Japan and the rest of Asia, um, if you can do that, and if you can own all assets, so not just shares or the risky stock market, but shares, bonds, commodities, and including that precious metals, and you know maybe even a bit of cryptocurrency these days, but that's perhaps a bit yep. of a red herring. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you basically own all assets in all geographies, you can realistically aspire to banging out certainly high single digits, mm-hmm. and and in many years low double digit returns across the economic cycle, no matter what's happening. Yep. And you can illustrate that uh, that point. Uh, there are a couple of ways of doing it. But firstly, think about this. Global GDP output in the year 2000 was $32 trillion, right. near, near as we can measure it. By 2015, it was $85 trillion. So that's a 163.5% growth in global GDP in the size of the world economy yeah. in about 15 years. Now, the maths don't, you know, it, there are complexities in here, but it's just illustrative of the fact that if you divide 160% by 15 years, that's your kind of roughly ten-ish yeah. percent. You know, that's if you can access that through stock market investments, which, by the way, you can. And if you can yeah. hedge it, because the other thing I was going to evidence this with is, so people say it's risky. Yeah, of course. The S and P five hundred, the U.S. stock market, the FTSE one hundred, whichever stock market you care to look at, all of them fell by more than fifty percent from oh mm-hmm. seven to oh nine. Mm. Terrible, right? Yep. Terrible for most conventional British pension funds and most types of investment because they're very stock market focused. But what did oil do in 2008? It hit an all-time high of $147 a barrel, now yep. trading at 50, right? Yep. Yep. What, did, what did gold do in 2009? It went up yeah, 19.5%, really right? Mm. Um, and so the insight here, and this, this is not my idea, I'm not the first, you know, the Rothschild family have become the richest people in the world by, by investing doing this. Yeah, yeah. for 200 years. Now, yeah. they could do it. You know, in 18, whenever, 1812, you know, Waterloo, um, they, they made a killing in the, in the London bond market because they had homing pigeons get back from the battle quicker and they knew that Britain had won. Um, you know, that I did not know. It's a good little story, isn't it? But, but you know, the Rothschild family had an infrastructure of, of investment bankers, you know, partly their family in Amsterdam, Frankfurt, London and everywhere else in 18, whatever, right? 
Harvard and Yale University have been doing this since the nine, 1950s, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. And you know, the smartest people in the world, the wealthiest and smartest people have invested like this. The problem for the man in the street was you couldn't do this yeah. until financial innovation came along in the last, I mean, I would say the last decade, but you know, frankly, they're, they're, even today, it's not, it's not, you know, there are lots of different ways of skinning the cat in yes. terms of, but you know, I've got to be a bit careful because I was about to preempt the fact that we're planning to launch our own fund, which is an own the world fund, mm -hmm. which, which is a strategy that basically does everything that I talk about in the book, but you're not allowed to market a fund before it exists. So hence why I was just pulling myself back from the brink. But my point is, you know, that's going to be a one-stop shop product to own the world with one fund. Yeah. At the moment, to achieve the same sort of result, you'd have to own an equity fund or a global multi-asset fund. It's not quite, there's not quite the pure solution yet yes. that you'd like to see. But and so this is so much, and I kind of want to disseminate because some of our guys mm. listening, this will be like rocket science to them. Yep. First of all, the big question that I get is, oh, stocks and shares is tricky, blah, blah, blah. If, yeah. I, if I'm doing it myself, Mike, and the truth is I don't really do it myself. My yeah. app, my heart, you know, the, the app that I use does it. And it's yeah. two or three things that I put money into. But I, the first question I ask is, well, what do you think a pension fund is doing? They are doing the same thing. Yeah. But, but well, that's right. I mean, and the, I think one of the big um, sort of misunderstandings that people have in the UK market, particularly, and I suppose with 401ks and stuff in the States as well, is, you know, that they think of, people will say to me, forgive my, my bad language, but people will say to me, pensions are shit. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's like saying cars are shit. Shit, yeah. You know, because pen, a pension is just a kind of tax sheltered account in which you can do one of thousands of things, mm -hmm. you know, and an ISA is the same. That's just another yep. kind of shell account. And actually another point I make quite often is being British is an incredibly fortunate thing if mm -hmm. you want to accrue wealth, because, you know, obviously it's better than being Syrian or, you know, unfortunate in somewhere like Afghanistan or Syria or, mm -hmm. or, you know, Somalia or somewhere where, you know, clearly we have a massive advantage over those sorts of developing countries, but we have a huge advantage over a lot of other countries, you know, developed countries in terms of these tax sheltered accounts that are a legacy of, you know, Britain being an innovator, innovator in financial services going back to the Victorian era. Sure. And, and it's just, a, it, to me, it, for, when people say to me pensions are shit, I just think it's such a crying shame because, <laughs> you know, um, all it is, 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 a, is a method and an account within which you can sort of do what you want to do very tax efficiently. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, um, this is this is an important point as well. This strategy is essentially it is globally um, applicable, right? I mean, we have guys exactly. in America, Australia, Asia, yeah. Africa, England, Europe. You know, this is not a a Western thing. It's not it, even a British it, thing. Well, that's right. Although, so yeah, I mean, if you say the basic idea is that you want to own all major stock markets. Uh, and all you know, all the other major markets. So you want to have some gold. You want to have some bonds. You want to have it's, it is. I mean, it's interesting you say that because, yes, you, it is globally applicable, mm. but the ease with which your particular nation state's financial services will facilitate it for you is yeah. hugely different. And so in the States, it's very easy. In Britain, it's very easy. On the continent, it can actually be quite hard and quite expensive, okay. um, in my experience. And I've also had, I mean, a lot of expats have obviously come across my book and I've, you know, had numerous phone calls with people in places like Singapore, Sydney, yep. um, you know, uh, Kuala Lumpur, you know, um, and actually a lot of them have come on to me and then found that they're incredibly frustrated because they can't work out how to kind of replicate, the, you know, what I advocate for people in the British market in um, just in places like Singapore or Kuala Lumpur. Um, and I mean, I mean, no doubt that will change. And actually, 
you know, sadly, I'm not an expert on every single retail financial services market in the world. And, and <laughs> if I, if, you know, dare, dare I confess, but if I, yeah. you know, if I went to Singapore, no doubt I could figure it out over the course of a few weeks and a few meetings. But sure. at present, the way that people can implement this in, if they're based in Singapore is, is as, far, as, as, as I've found out so far, very expensive, mm-hmm. very much more expensive than it is um, in the UK. But, but the underlying strategy um, is, is entirely applicable wherever you are in the world. So, I mean, I guess the answer is if you are a Brit based in Singapore, you should probably just carry on using British financial services providers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's, let's say that I go, okay, I understand I need to build a nest egg. I need to start putting money away and putting it away. The, the first thing I think a lot of people want to do is put it in a savings account. Yeah. And the big thing you taught me is that if that savings account has an interest rate lower than inflation, yeah. you're losing money. Yeah. So what do I start? What, what do I need to start doing from a real base level? Well, I mean, yeah, I think so if we can just dwell on, you know, the British audience, because it's probably easiest to begin with. I mean, America has similar kind of accounts to these, so it kind of applies. Um, you know, we, we already talked about save 10% of everything you earn. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you were intending to grow your business and you need to put everything possible by because you need to buy a piece of capital equipment or you know you need a new member of staff or whatever else and you're at that very developmental stage of business and obviously that might be an exception but Mm -hmm. broadly if at all possible throughout your life Mm -hmm. with your personal finances put by 10 percent you know hammer that point home so then the next thing to do is to find the wherever you reside the most optimal kind of tax sheltered account now i'm a massive believer in the uk market in the isa over pretty much everything else because the pension and we can get into the nitty-gritty of this but frankly the the problem with the pension is for anybody under about the age of 50 i think it's incredibly unlikely the pension will exist and you know in in 2008 the argentinian government nationalized pensions middle-class argentinians who were doctors and lawyers and whatever who'd saved diligently into their private pensions the government confiscated all their money overnight that's you know argentina's a a reasonably modern you know buenos aires is, is not it's not Mogadishu, not one of the impugned Mogadishu, but yeah. you know, and overnight people who worked for their lives had all their m- money taken by the government. Now, I think there's a chance that could happen in, in Western democracies, given the parlous state of, I agree. Of, yeah. So, so whereas an ISA and why might that not happen to an ISA? Cause the aggregate ISA part is so much smaller, mm-hmm. right? So, and you can, you can sell your ISA tomorrow and take your money out. Whereas your pension, you can't access legally until you're 55, mm-hmm. right? So, so I think for younger listeners um, or, or viewers, it, it's definitely an ISA account in the UK market, and America has similar accounts. So, and then you set up a direct debit mm-hmm. with a with a really good quality stockbroking firm. I mean, I, and I have no commercial relationship with them, but I happen to love a firm called Hargreaves Lansdowne. Yeah, I use those too as yeah. well. No, so, I mean, no I, look, I've used eight stockbroking firms in my life, and I I've ended up with most of my stuff with them um, purely because it's the it's the it's the only company in Britain when I call somebody articulate and intelligent who can help me answers the phone within four rings. Yeah. I don't get that from British Airways, from uh-huh. O2, from British Gas, from, you know, you insert no, any company in Britain. Yeah. yeah. I, can't, I can't call up my ISP. Yeah. Or, yeah. Speak to someone, and, and yet Hargreaves Lansdowne does nothing but try and like, the app as well is amazing. You know? Yeah, no, quite. And so I'm a big fan of those. People, people have sort of pushed back about that and say they're a bit expensive. But you know, my answer is well, a Range Rover is more expensive than a Ford Mondeo. Yeah. You, you kind of you get what you pay for, whatever else. But and, and I happen to think they're just a quality outfit. There are alternatives. There's another outfit called AJ Bell that people are very complimentary about. You know, it doesn't really. To be honest, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. All that matters is that whoever you use gives you access to a big range of investments, and you're able to set up a direct debit into a nicer account. And and you know, each month. 10% of what you've earned goes in that. Um, you know, obviously somebody with a conventional job that 
direct debit 10 percent is the same number each month and if you if you're as we said talked about earlier if you you have lumpier income then you'll have to kind of do it manually you know this month my 10 percent is more than last month or whatever yeah but once you've done that then you know the first thing to do for people who are conservative and worried just pay it in there as cash so you get into the habit if, if people who are watching this thing this is crazy this guy you know stock market investment is not for me just just let cash build up with interest rates where they are right now the fact that you're missing out on 0.9% of interest because because you know they're going to pay tiny peppercorn interest on that on the, but yeah. just get into the habit and I would always say depending on how risk averse or risk inclined you are you know you should build a rainy day pot yeah. so your so your first one three six months of cash that goes in just stays as cash yeah but after that all you have to do is find a interesting actually if you look at the long run statistics you could pretty much invest in anything i know that sounds ridiculous yeah. i'll tell you i'll give you an example of why that is yeah. if your goal here is to let's say you're 35 for the sake of argument and you're going to invest from 35 to 60 right for the next 25 years every month you're going to pay in as we as we're discussing now what you ideally want is a is a is, a, is something that's going to return 8 9 10 11 12 percent through the cycle right mm -hmm. um and there are actually um, if you stick to your guns and you invest monthly, which means you're smooth. So if you invested in a stock market investment uh, in March, 2007, mm -hmm. and it then, um, and it then, uh, you know, crashed immediately afterwards, if you're investing every month, you're buying it at the cheaper price, right? So a lot of people understand this. It's called averaging in. Yeah. And that's why I said, it, that's why I sort of slightly tongue in cheek said it almost doesn't matter yeah. uh, because I'll give you an example. So, um, two um, pretty high profile business professors at, at um, the London Business School, um, Elroy Dimson and Paul Marsh did a, did a piece a few years ago, a research piece, mm -hmm. actually published at the end of 15, 2015, where they found that if you invested in the smallest 2% of companies in the British stock market, mm -hmm. going back to 1955, so small caps, smaller companies, the mm -hmm. bottom 2%, your annual returns would have been just under 16% per annum. Wow. Yep. Wow. So all you have to do, so am I saying that all you have to do is invest in UK smaller companies from now on every month for the next 20 years and you'll be a multi, multi-millionaire because you, I mean, if you run it, if anybody out there, you know, people watching probably know how to build Excel spreadsheets, you know, start with 10,000 pounds, put it 16% per annum for 20 years and see what you get. It's yeah. a lot of money, right? Yeah. Um, but, but of course the problem is, uh, and here's the crux is that in the course of that performance, there were three or four times actually maybe four or five times, um, you know, 1987, 2000, 2001, 07, 08, 09, where you would have seen your account fall by 50%, the, the mm -hmm. notional value. Yep. And very few people are hardwired psychologically to ride that out and go, oh, that's fine. I know because Andy Craig said, and these two professors have shown me empirically, that from 1955 to 2015, small companies did 16% a year. I'm fine. I'll ride it out. Mm -hmm. What people tend to do is, get extremely freaked out and, yeah, and sell out which is why the the, re, the the simpler thing to do by all means people watching should get a uk small companies fund if they feel brave and they're willing to you know on a 25 year time horizon you are very very likely to make double digit returns mm -hmm. okay as long as you stick with it and when the crashes come you carry on putting money in every month yeah. okay but for most people's sanity and sleeping well at night it is easier to do what I call owning the world, yep. which is that you own a balanced, you know, as I said earlier for the, for the points I made earlier, if you own American shares, Japanese shares, British shares, European shares, some gold, some silver, some agricultural commodities, da, 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 you're not going to have that volatility. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. You're gonna, you're basically gonna grind. You, it is the tortoise, not the hare. Yeah. And because of our, the way we're hardwired psychologically, the tortoise generally beats the hare. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you'd held on and bought UK smaller companies, which are risky, or let's say a biotech fund or whatever. Yeah. You would, if you'd held on, you would have made those returns. But most people don't hold on. Most people. Yeah, and uh, it's this, like the poker player who freaks out, you know? Yeah, and this is this is certainly what a lot of my guys talk to me about because I've, I've got a course within WP Elevation on planning for profit. It's actually yeah. what to do with your dinner plate of money and, and kind of putting it out and stuff. And they've kind of spoken to me like, oh, but stocks and shares, I hear all these horror stories of people losing. I'm like, you have to understand that investing for a nest egg, a long-term pension fund, saving over 25 years or 20 yeah. years is not day trading. Yeah, you are, they're completely are, different things. You're not doing the whole like watching tickers and stuff. That's yeah. it's got they, they're not even in the same industry. Like yeah. it's completely different things, you know. And, and your and your returns are actually negatively correlated to the amount of time that you spend watching the news and going, yeah. oh, what should I do about Brexit? <laughs> yeah. This is what drives me mad. Like people go, well, what about Brexit? Yeah. You know, what well, I shouldn't invest right now because of Brexit or Donald Trump's just got into the White House. So I'm, it's a terrible time to invest. Nonsense, nonsense, nonsense. Yeah. You got to do the old see no evil, hear no evil, close your eyes, stick your fingers in the air and go la 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 and ignore the news always. Because if you put a sensible investment strategy in place that does you know, what I'm talking about um, and you continue to pay into it month in, month out over, over a lifetime of investment, if you, if you structure it well from, from tax perspective, i.e. put in an ISA or mm-hmm. you know, if you're a bit older, maybe use a pension, but mm-hmm. go back to what we said earlier about pensions versus ISAs. If you do that, by the time you're 55, 57, 50, whenever it is you want to take, um, you know, uh, have a pretty big lump sum, you will have one. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and by hedging, as I said, I call it, you know, owning the world is about hedging out risk both by geography and by asset class. Yeah. And if you do that, you know, invest, investing isn't that risky, actually. But, yeah, but I mean, the other yeah. comment I made is, you know, nobody drives a car before they've passed their driving test, right? Yeah, of course, yeah. And financial service, financial products seem to be the only products that a people buy without actually understanding anything about them, yeah. which is mental. Because when you <laughs> if you go buy a car, you go and buy like Exchange and Mart and what car, yeah. and you pour over them at the weekend, yeah, of course. and then you do a decent job of knowing how much to pay for a specific car with leather seats. And do, but people go, oh, I'm going to get a pension. Like the most important purchase of their life, yeah. investing money, they do it without any preparation or thought or work at all. Mm-hmm. And so funnily enough, and it's the same, or well, like if you bought a car, if you, if you drove on a motorway without passing your driving test, there's a pretty high chance you'd crash. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, what I tried to do in How to the World was How to Own the World was just to get people from sort of complete fear and ignorance of, 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 of investment to mm-hmm. basically feeling reasonably confident that they can invest. Yeah. You know, in South pages i wish i could do it in three pages but you can't <laughs> yeah and this is and that was another thing is like there's there's actually an enormous amount of information out there that's good information that's been around yeah. a long time uh weirdly like david lynch's book on like beating the market uh warren buffett's got a couple of them and i was expecting oh. to be like thick dense tomes and actually they're relatively easy to read and and they really broke these are the top investors in the world and yeah like, yeah yeah they all basically say the same thing. Yeah. You know? and, 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 and Warren Buffett is famous for making the point that um, kind of being a really successful investor doesn't require an IQ of 160. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, some, it's, I can't remember his quote, but something like, you know, somebody with a perfectly normal IQ, mm. um, obviously most of the people watching this have very high IQ. Shockingly so, high. Again, the, name, the self-selecting. Yeah, and exactly. really good looking as well. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> yeah. But, 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 you know, it, it's not, 
a game for rocket. You don't need to be a rocket scientist or a genius. And, and that was what I tried to set out in the book was just, you know, what are the, what, what's the fastest route from A to B? What is a share? What's the stock market? What are interest rates? What's inflation? What's gold? And crucially, how do you, nuts and bolts, how do you invest in them yeah. in, a, in a sensible way? Yeah. And nobody, I mean, you know, that sounds ridiculously, but nobody gets taught that. No, and you we know? don't get taught it at school. This yeah. is the biggest thing I'm now finding kind of, you know, starting a family and stuff is, They'll be like, oh, you know, what is a mortgage? What is tax? What yeah. is savings? And like, worry not. Mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. I'm like, when am I going to use that? Exactly. You, you do some simultaneous equations for yeah. me, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You'll need this one day. When? Yeah. The von Schlieffen plan in the First yeah. World War. Yeah. How did that? I know. But, but, it is, but, you know, happily, that's the bad news. The good news is that, you know, and these sorts of podcasts are all part of, part of this, that, as you say, access to information mm-hmm. um, and sort of knowledge is, is easier than ever before. Uh, but I suppose, you know, the, the problem with that is that how do you see the wood for the trees? Because you could go off down a lot of blind alleys. And I think my answer to that is if you're looking to educate yourself about finances, seek out stuff about the fundamentals, not mm-hmm. about what the latest yeah. stock is or what the latest fad is or, yeah. you know, what are interest rates? What yes. is the bond market? Yeah. That, that's the sort of end, you know, there's a great book by um, a guy called Niall Ferguson, who's a, a, a Scottish, but based in Harvard, um, economic historian. He wrote a book called The Ascent of Money. Okay. Um, actually on my website, there's a, there's a, a blog article called the eight best finance books of all time. And I think it's one of them. Oh, cool. Um, I'm not expecting everyone to read eight books, but you know, the, all I'm doing is that the ascent of money is just an example of, um, of somebody talking about the nuts and bolts of what is money and how does yeah. money, how do financial markets develop? And, and it's very, it's actually quite, you know, like anything, the more you know about it, the more interesting, interesting it, becomes. it becomes. Yeah. yeah. And this is the thing. I think there's a huge amount of fear again, particularly in the, the, the freelance own business entrepreneurial um, yeah. world that we have a fear of money. And I think it, it's not because money is terrifying. It's because we're not educated on it. Well, and also frankly, in the freelance slash entrepreneurial world, you know, I, I, I genuinely know this myself. I started playing the finance. There's an awful lot of work to do. Yeah, of course. You know, yeah. And there, there are so many clients to call and admin to do and regulatory paperwork to fill in and get an account. And you know, it, it, it sometimes it is a lot more hardcore than having a normal normal day job. And so money is just you know in the in the sort of box of responsibilities you have running your own business. Mm. You probably park that. But you know, I guess the message to take away from this is don't because it, yeah. because if, over 20 years plus that hopefully your your judicious saving and sensibly investing will mean you, you've probably made as much as you've made out of your business yeah 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 you know i mean that's a kind of that's my aim is generally to to see you know the wealth i produce from investment being around about the same as what i produce from from you know work yep absolutely hopefully hopefully that will end i'll, I'll smash it out of the water yeah, you want to hope you smash it out of the water yeah, mate. That's well, what yeah. no well, i meant when we you know when i float my business that will be pure nonsense but i'll still be saving my 10 percent of, of course yeah, yeah absolutely so all right so let's go over this because i think there's there's one more point that i wanted to cover sure um long and short is we want to start saving 10% of whatever comes in, right? And yeah. like you say, for some people when that's monthly, that's great. Now we actually try to teach our guys how to create monthly recurring revenue. Yeah. So there is a way to be able to take 10% of that. But even if I have 10% coming kind of sporadically, quarterly, take 10% of that, put it somewhere, right? Yeah, exactly right. And we can find sheltered accounts. Yep. Wherever you sit in the world, just try and find the sort of optimal tax sheltered accounts. Yeah. And I'm there's sorry, information what out the, there on how to... Yeah, what, what yeah ex- exactly. Um, although, I mean, if you're in the UK, I'm always really scathing of the high street banks, right? 
Yeah. Just, I mean, it's worth saying that there's no one in, in your local branch of Lloyd's, NatWest, Barclays, Santander, who is of any value whatsoever in this process. Yep. I mean, yep. I, I hope I don't get sued for saying that. I mentioned all of them, but you know, I mean, I, rem I remember walking into one of them on Moorgate in the city of London. It's like the epicenter of finance in the world. Yep. And speaking to an account, you know, a financial advisor, and they didn't even realize that they were ISA products other than the ones that bank sold. Yeah, it's, it's kind of staggering. <laughs> Right. It is, and it's a, it's, a, it's, I mean, it's a huge business opportunity. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> I used to work but, just um, down the street from Morgan, actually, in um, uh, Water Street, and that was where the big tech company was that we worked at. Right. Interestingly enough, their finance department was on the same team, and they would advise us on things like pensions. And that was when I started to think, why is it that I'm arguing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I, I shouldn't be. I should be just believing them if, if what it was say is true. So. But the whole, the whole model of financial advice in Britain, sadly, um, which kind of stems from it, it probably, I mean, th th this isn't particularly well backed by evidence. This is me kind of gut feel from here, but I'm sort of thinking about it is that ultimately, you know, British financial services developed in London, 1700 onwards, whatever, and developed to cater for aristocrats who were landowners, right? Yeah. So they'd come in and they had money coming out of their ears and they'd kind of just, you know, lots of sharp, smart people in the city. With, and and that, unfortunately, that shadow is still cast. Yep. Uh, you know, when somebody pays 3% per annum to a financial services provider when they don't need to, yeah. that's because of that legacy. But yeah, definitely seek out. I mean, look, I'd say it, wouldn't I? But hopefully most of this ground is covered in, in my book. Yeah, you know, of course. And yeah. that's the point of it. But don't yeah. want to get too salesy. No, no, no. This is good. <laughs> We're doing all this kind of stuff. So that's fine. That's good. Um, and it's interesting you say about it's a lot of hang-ups. We try to talk about this, like the concept of doing nine to five, five days a week is a hang-up from the Victorian era when they had factories and they had to get wool out during the daytime. Yeah, exactly. And, and, the, and the kilns had to be switched on for however <laughs> length of time. Otherwise, they couldn't be powered down at the weekend. Yeah, yeah exactly. So like we don't need to live in that world anymore, but I'm yeah. sure that's the world we're taught. And that's yeah. kind of the, the next, the next point that you mentioned is that it is actually easier than ever to start your journey in this way. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean that the sort of, I, I quite often when I do speaking events, depending on how much time we've got, we talk about the bad news being, you know, if you, if you want to make the average British salary per annum as a, as the amount of money you return on your investments, you need about 700 grand mm -hmm. to make about 30 grand a year. Right. Yeah. The average person in this country has 30 grand at retirement. Yeah. You know, don't be one of those people because the other point to make is the government, uh, as we talked about earlier, I think it's highly unlikely 15, 20 years from now that the government will be able to pay people a livable pension because of all the demographic bulge and all that good stuff. Um, but, but the good news is, um, sort of pivoting back to what you were saying a minute ago, is that if, if, you, if, you, actually, if you can do this um, and if you can make 10% per annum, if you start early, then you can get to that kind of 700,000 pounds. Um, you know, yeah. truly. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I like about compound interest. I mean, yeah, well, exactly. For Einstein to say compound interest is the most powerful force, the the man who kind of yeah, yeah, the eighth, on. the eighth <laughs> wonder of the world. Yeah, it is. Although, yeah. although, the, although I have read someone online that that was attributed to him in, in error, but who knows? It's like all those marvelous Winston Churchill quotes that he <laughs> probably never actually said because he yeah. probably wasn't that rude. Yeah, you <laughs> read them on a, a beer coaster. Yeah, man, you're like, oh, that's really smart. Yeah, it'll be fine. Never let the truth get in the way of a good story, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, and we want to find something to invest in so we can put it away in this account and then find a broker and the broker can help us with what to invest in. But also, it's not like, like we say, we're not choosing day stocks every single day. We're going to no. A couple of things. I mean, yeah. Funds, yeah. I, I, is, the, is the broadest term funds? A fu exactly. So a fund is just, you know, a fund was created. The first British fund was Foreign Colonial Investment Trust in 1868. 
Wow. And the, the idea was just that there were always minimum amounts you could invest in a share, right? Yeah. So only very, so think about my point about diversification. So now uh, with a fund like the one we're hoping to launch, you, you, you can put a hundred quid a month in and you can own all Japanese shares, all American shares, all, you know, European shares and then, then, and gold and oil and all this good stuff. So back then, obviously before the technology was available to facilitate that, mm-hmm. um, you know, in 1870 or whatever, you, if you wanted to get diversification, you had to be extraordinarily rich because yeah. you had to buy like, let's say a hundred pounds and think about what a pound was worth in Victorian yeah, era. Yeah. You had to buy a hundred pounds of each of the companies listed on the London stock market. So the so some extremely smart person came up with the idea of a pooled investment, which is what a fund is, which is basically that, you know, if you've only got 10 quid a month back back then, or nowadays a hundred quid a month invest, but you want to own all, all the FTSE 100, all hundred shares, mm-hmm. you end up owning like, you know, a quid's worth of each of them notionally yeah. right but so that's that's why funds exist and funds have obviously developed way beyond that and now you can own funds that own thousands of assets in them. yeah 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 and that's and that kind of brings us on to our, our last point mm. this is a long-term strategy just in the same mindset as your pension you know you're not going to be cashing this out you need to ride out what's coming and yeah. start to uh tim ferris in four-hour work week calls it um information ignorance yeah like actually all this information coming towards you actually doesn't help you. Well, I call it news hygiene, you know, <laughs> that whole sort of, I'm going to use yeah, it. I mean, I mean, but, but yeah. the amount of time we waste listening to the news telling us X, Y, and Z, it has, it has no bearing on your finances. Yeah. If, if you have taken a worldview and got yourself organized and set up a direct debit, it's a set and forget thing. Now that having been said, obviously this is an audience of entrepreneurs and freelancers, you know, as we've talked about mm-hmm. and the great thing about an ISA, you know, focusing on the UK market. And, and I know there are similar products in the States, maybe the Roth IRA, I can't quite remember the nomenclature, but, but, but the UK market is that, you know, with a pension, your money's locked up yep. to your 55, yep. at least with an ISA in extremis, you know, if an acquisition comes along that you just desperately want to buy and you've managed to get 67 grand saved over the previous few years into your ISA accounts, mm-hmm. you know, you can, you can dip it. I mean, you have to make that decision when you come to it, but, but that's, at least you have the flexibility. It's not I've, like... I've done it. I, I, um, a, a, a tech share came up and I was like, I really want to get on board with this. And because I'd also been keeping 10% of my 10% aside as, as, as cash, as cash. Yeah, exactly. I was like, well, I can, bu- I can buy this. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I can just take this and it's, it's you know, done really well. Although, although I hope, I hope you, um, I hope you had the checklist of several dozen things that you should definitely, somebody, people, people, yeah. people keep coming up to me, you know, people often just the nature of what I do. People say, Oh, you know, my mate said that I should buy, you know, insert tiny yeah, little yeah. share in the Toronto stock market or in Japan or whatever. What do you reckon? And, and you know, my first question is, okay, well, you know, that share was, for whatever last week it's been one before and nine before yeah. it's the same company at one four and nine how do you know you know do you know how to work out when to yeah. buy a share and my point is just you should never invest in single shares yeah. or indeed a single commodity like people who want to invest in lithium or you know these sort of fads and these themes you, you i mean you, you can invest in them and, the, and the, there's great power now in Hargreaves, Nansdown or spread betting, whatever you, you're able to invest in, but you must be very clear that you've done, you really understand how does share valuation work? What's return on capital employed? What's a yeah. PE ratio? What's an EVE EBITDA ratio and what's the difference? And if you can't answer those questions, you bloody shouldn't be investing yeah, yeah, in yeah. single shares, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I guess a, a part of this as well is like, 
I think we're scared of money because we're scared to lose it. We try at the WP Elevation to try and teach an abundancy mindset. Yeah. And part of that comes from understanding that money is just like any asset. It's like any tool and you can probably always find more of it. And hopefully yeah. by using it more, you learn how to use it better in the future. You know, um, and like anything else, like any other habit, it, when it becomes yes. a habit. So it, that's why it's, it's, an, it's probably done to death. But the idea of a savings habit you know, if you have a savings habit, it's like having a smoking habit. It's really hard to quit. Stop it, yeah. You there's know, even want... an app now that will take your purchases on your phone. Yeah, there's a brilliant app. Well, I forget the name of it. I just spotted the other day where if you uh, click in your Oyster card or your Apple Pay or whatever, it rounds up to the nearest pound That's and saves yeah. that for you. Uh, I think Moneybox. Moneybox. Yeah. yeah, which I love. I love that, particularly for millennials, for you know, because it yeah. is tough. Rents are really high, you yeah. know. The cost of living is tricky and um, you know, it takes a few years to get to a point where you're getting paid appropriately. Yeah. Um, but at least along the way, that's Moneybox is probably quite a good way because that's the other thing. That having a savings habit, it's remarkable how quickly your pot builds. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 um, I did a paper round when I was a, a, a young lad before I went off to, um, to, school, uh, to actually went away to another school. But um, I, I got paid 15 quid a week, yeah. which was quite a lot but, you know, in southwest London. And by the time I went to uni, I had a few grand. Yeah. You know, yeah. now interest, uh, uh, and I was making about 10% per, per annum in the post office interest rate, which sadly you can't make in interest rates anymore, but you can make from owning the world. You absolutely you know? can. And that kind yeah. of brings to a close that call. That's a perfect segue to the end there <laughs> with the, uh, how to own the world. Andy, this is just, honestly, I could talk to you for hours about this because it's just, it's beyond fascinating to me. You're um, very kind. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure your listeners don't want us to do that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you'd be surprised. A lot of them do kind of reach out and they're, they're like, you know, where do you find this stuff, Mike? And I'm like, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff rattling around. Well, well I tell you what, I would, I'd be very happy to come on again because that, you know, we scratched the surface and we could do, we could do topic by topic. So, you know, another few months or whatever suits you, I'm really happy to talk about maybe more of the specifics of yeah, what to invest good. in. That'd be yeah. really good. That'd be awesome. Okay. So in the meantime, how can people uh, reach out to you? So um, the website is plainenglishfinance.com. Yep. or, or .co.uk, so plain English finance, exactly as expected, um, is spelt. Uh, but also, on if you go to amazon.co.uk and type in How to Own the World mm -hmm. by Andrew Craig, um, yep. you'll find it, and then the book, obviously, you know, you're then you're then in my clutch of souls, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have, we have a free email um, list, which, is, which I absolutely don't bombard people. I, I write something, I struggle to write something too often, so I probably average once every three or four weeks. Yep. But when I do write something, I'd like to think it's usually pretty um, useful for people. And you can see that on the opinion bit of our website to see what I've written in the last few years. Cool. Yeah, no, I, I definitely recommend that as well. Again, especially if you want to start getting less scared of this stuff, there is resources out there. And, and yeah, Plain English Finance, the, the blog there, I've always found very easy to disseminate. And also when that little fear thing comes into your mind and you hear something, you can't help it. Someone says something, I'm like, do you know what? I'm going to go read something and nine times out of 10, it's sort of, puts that fear to rest yeah absolutely action action is the antidote to despair or whatever. <laughs> yeah there you go yeah, <laughs> uh so guys if you're listening to this remember to go to wpelevation.com forward slash uh andrew craig download our tools worksheet so this is the tools that wp elevation uses uh, and you can also subscribe to the podcast there and leave us some comments on what you'd like to see next andrew thank you so much uh, thank for you coming very much on. really enjoyed no it speak uh, to you soon yeah, thanks you mike too. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the podcast as much as I did. I absolutely loved talking to Andrew. Really, really cool guy. Uh, remember to visit wpelevation.com forward slash Andrew Craig to watch this episode, get access to the tools list and leave us some feedback in the comment section below. Please subscribe to the podcast and giving us a rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us spread the word. And of course, don't forget to tell people as well. Tell your friends uh, and tell other colleagues that you know about the WP Elevation podcast. Just visit wpelevation.com forward slash iTunes. Thanks for tuning in and we look forward to your company on the next episode of the podcast. Until then, go elevate. Go elevate.